as one, as might make sense, the more out you are as being poly or non-monogamous, the more discrimination you're liable to report, which makes sense. You know, the more people know about your lifestyle, then the more they might discriminate against you. But the more important polyamory or non-monogamy is to your overall sense of identity the more you perceive being stigmatized. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we are talking with Ryan G. Witherspoon, who is a researcher, educator, and clinical psychology PhD candidate at the California School of Professional Psychology. Uh, we met him recently, and we're excited to have someone on here to talk about the state of research. It's been a while since we had a researcher on our show, because it's been two years since we had Elizabeth Chef yeah, on wow, the show. Um, I know, right? Uh, and as you may know, we all love our stits and stats and sciencey shit. So we're really excited to have someone on the show to talk about that. Yeah, Ryan's awesome. Oh, and disclaimer: um, Dedeker is down for the count today because she's a little sicky poo. I think the Hong Kong yeah, air is, is getting to her, so she's been coughing up a lung um, and is therefore not on the show today. So you may hear yes. her in the background sometimes, but. Uh, yeah, just disregard <laughs> that as best as you can, and speedy <laughs> recovery. Dedeker in the background. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, she had me record her last will and testament earlier today. Yeah, I heard she about that. Thought she was gonna die. I know, poor girl. Jeez. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Well, we hope she gets better soon. Totally. And with that, let's go on to you, Ryan. All right, and here we are with Ryan Witherspoon. Hello, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Welcome. my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, totally. So we met you. I mean, we've talked to you online before, but we met you in person just recently at a panel discussion uh, where we also met our last guest, Aaron Tillman. Um, and we met you there as well. And you are currently doing research on non-monogamous relationships and that's how I'd first heard about you because right. somehow I got on your on your email list to be a respondent for your studies. Uh, and something that we talk about a lot on this show are trying to find relevant studies about non-monogamy or about relationships that don't just adhere to this, you know, traditional way of looking at things and kind of a narrow way of mm -hmm. analyzing data. Right. Uh, and so we're really excited to actually meet someone who's doing that kind of research. Um, oh. And so we're glad to have you here to talk about that. Well, thank you. It's really exciting to to be on the podcast. I appreciate it. So who yeah. are you, Ryan, exactly? Can you introduce yourself <laughs> for us? Um, yes. what, tell us a little bit about what you do. 
Sure. So um, I'm currently uh, working on my PhD in clinical psychology. I'm training to be a, a clinical psychologist, and I've got one more year left to go on that. And I'm a researcher and educator for alternative relationships, alternative sexualities. So I do a lot of research on non-monogamy. I train mental health clinicians on how to work with uh, non-monogamous people, kinky people, uh, you know, things of that nature. And then I'm also a psychotherapist trainee, so I see uh, clients as well. Um, I'm not licensed yet, but, uh, but I'm working towards that. So, so you see clients through the university as part of that program? Yeah, yeah. I'm still in my clinical training, so I rotate each year to different sites. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've worked at colleges. Yeah. I work with older adults right now. Next year, I'll do my internship at a university. So, And then after that, I'll be able to see private patients. Oh, lovely. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. So it's been a long cool. road. Thank you. <laughs> so... I guess just to to kind of get us started, uh, can you Mm -hmm. tell us, well, two things. I guess, like, one is why is this kind of research important? Like, Mm -hmm. why is this important enough that you've decided to to do it? Uh, And then also, you know, what kind of stuff are you researching right now? Sure. So this research is important because... Uh, non-monogamous relationships, and by that I mean those that are consensual, just as, you know, default, they're, they're so common. You know, we have studies now that show that 21% of American single adults have tried non-monogamy in the past, and that 3 to 5% of American adults at any one point in time are in a non-monogamous relationship. And and then some proportion of that is going to be polyamory and then others, you know, open relationships swinging. But I mean, three to five percent is a huge number. I mean, to put it in perspective, you know, one and a half percent of the population are natural redheads. And how many redheads do you know? So very double few. that. You know? Yeah, very few. No, but uh, actually, yeah, <laughs> more than one might think. You know, yeah, exactly. So we're talking about um, a very large minority uh, of people, and it's just vastly understudied. You know, um, there's only maybe a couple hundred studies ever done on this population, and that might sound like a lot, but it's actually not a lot uh, by far. It's so the research on this is really um, in its infancy. Yeah. I think of and then, Eli oh, Sheff. Well, no, I think of, yeah, Eli Sheff, Dr. Elizabeth Sheff as being the yes. one person that, off the top of my head who also does research on um, non-monogamy and specifically children yeah. and non-monogamy. She's, she's wonderful, yeah. yeah. And and she and another researcher, uh, Dr. Paletta Corioli in Australia, are the only ones that have looked at polyfamilies with children. Mm. So mm-hmm. they filled a yeah. tremendous gap in the literature. So, yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, to answer your second point about the work I'm doing now, so I'm working on, I just finished collecting data for my second study. It's my dissertation study. And it builds on the first study I did. So the first study looked at consensually non-monogamous people uh, of all sorts, and it looked at how they were stigmatized um, by our kind of monogamous, mononormative culture. 
and how they experience discrimination, harassment, or even violence because of be their non-monogamy. Wow. And then in my current study, I'm looking at what are some resilience or strength factors that might protect polyamorous people against the harmful effects of this stigma. You know, what, what, what are these factors that enhance their relationship well-being, their sense of overall well-being? Hmm. So that's what I'm doing now. Wow. Nice. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's, um, it's not... I, I hadn't considered that kind of angle of looking at studying non-monogamous people in terms of... Because, you know, you, you definitely hear some statistics out there, or I've always been curious to have more statistics about, you know, things like discrimination or violence or mm -hmm. stuff like that, because we're, mm -hmm. you know, it tends to be a thing that comes up. People worry about it. They worry about it for their kids or for themselves if they were to come out. Right. Uh, but it's interesting to think about the other side of that, of kind of what are some skills that polyamorous people might develop that would actually help them in dealing with those things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to note that a lot of the stigma, the discrimination, it, it all, it can be overt, certainly. You know, anybody whose family rejects them when they come out as poly certainly knows that. But it can also be very subtle. You know, most poly people, our studies show, um, are closeted about their poly. They, you know, they pass yeah. as monogamous. And that concealment takes a psychological toll. And if you are out as poly, you know, any poly person listening to this probably can remember times when they've had friends ask intrusive questions or make off-color jokes about poly or make negative assumptions. And those are all uh, stressors, and those build up over time, but often kind of beneath our awareness. Yeah, wow. Mm. Little microaggressions against polyamorous people. That's exactly people. what they are, yeah. microaggressions, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Well, and along that note, what exactly have you found in your research so far? Are there any interesting findings, or do you have a direction where future studies may go? Yeah, I have found some interesting things. Um, I'm working on getting my first study uh, published right now, actually, and that was the one on stigma. Mm -hmm. And what I found was pretty shocking. So... Um, I looked at about a little over 1,500 non-monogamous people, and about 860 of those identified as polyamorous. And okay. what I found, um, I asked people uh, a bunch of questions about different kinds of discrimination, harassment, or violence, and if they've experienced any of these things because of their non-monogamy. Um, and about 60% had experienced at least one kind of discrimination, harassment, or violence. And uh, between a quarter and a third had experienced three or more kinds. Wow. So yeah. that could be you know, uh, verbal harassment, stalking, sexual assaults, losing custody of a child. Wow. Um, being, you know, feeling like a doctor or, or therapist was, was uh, being discriminatory. You know, so these are really large numbers. Mm -hmm. And what I found was that certain things could predict them a little bit. So as, one, as might make sense, the more out you are as being poly or non-monogamous, the more discrimination you're liable to report, which makes sense. You know, the more people know about your lifestyle, then the more they might discriminate against you. But the more important polyamory or non-monogamy is to your overall sense of identity, the more you perceive being stigmatized. Interesting. 
So well, each one kind yeah. of predicted the other. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And it's it's something that I feel like I've seen the poly community wrestle with a lot in terms of is polyamory a relationship choice or is it an identity? Kind of, um, you know, the way that that debate was so hot 20 years ago about same-sex relationships. Mm-hmm. It's like, is this a choice yeah. you're making or is this like an inherent part of your identity? Um, and I do think it's interesting in in polyamory that there, there are people who have that debate and it does make sense that if you feel like it's your identity, then any of those jabs or jokes about polyamory are going to hurt a yeah. lot more. Absolutely. Is about is about kind of the state of other research out there about non-monogamy in general. Like you mentioned, right. uh, you know, that, that Dr. Elizabeth Sheff, and what was the other name you said? Uh, Dr. Maria, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name right, Palota Carioli, mm-hmm. I believe is how you pronounce it. Okay. Uh, she's in Australia. Okay, awesome. That they're both doing stuff on polyfamilies. Um, I was curious, like, have you noticed any trends out there in terms of what kind of research people are doing or any... I don't know, optimistic or problematic things that you're seeing in the direction that that research is headed? Sure. I have noticed some things. You know, first off, research on non-monogamy is really ramping up. You know, um, they did a, a recent article came out analyzing the research to date, and they found that, you know, more studies have come out in the last 10 years on non-monogamy, polyamory, uh, by by double than the previous hundred years. Sure. Um, so research is picking up, and what you're starting to see now is before it was kind of a lot of independent researchers publishing in smaller journals, and now you're seeing are these articles come out in in top tier journals. You're seeing a couple of uh, university based researchers with full labs doing work on on non monogamy. So that's been really exciting. The quality of research is going up, and it's being taken more seriously the more that clinicians are seeing this in practice. You know, because this is no, so that common. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that the more more clients yeah. you have who are practicing it, they'd be like, "Oh, hey, actually, I need more research about this." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and what you're also seeing in the research is uh, there's starting to be a shift from comparing monogamy or monogamous relationships and non-monogamous relationships because what you found is that they're pretty similar on like relationship quality, happiness, well-being, you know, uh, some studies find that that non-monogamous relationships even have, you know, greater intimacy mm-hmm. or communication, some find they're similar. But now you're starting to see non-monogamy, polyamory researched really as its own thing, as its own culture, its own subculture, looking at it in context. And that's great. And it kind of parallels the way that um, like lesbian, gay, bisexual research developed over the decades. You know, it started off with them comparing uh, LGBT people to heterosexual people. And then it started saying, well, wait a minute, let's look at LGBT folks uh, in the context of their lives, what kind of stresses are they under? What um, resilience factors do they have? And that's what you're starting to see in the non-monogamy literature. They're looking at stigma. They're looking at stress. Uh, we're starting to look at the positive benefits of non-monogamy. Things like enhanced communication, enhanced trust. So I think the research is getting more sophisticated. 
But we have a long way to go still, of course, because it is still highly stigmatized, even among researchers. Well, that's and that's a good segue, actually, into our next question, which was about um, what are the particular challenges in studying non-monogamy and and polyamory? And I think one of them is what you're saying right there, but I wondered if there's anything else. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. There was a study that just came out that found that researchers that present positive findings on polyamory are perceived to be more biased than those who present negative findings. Huh. Uh, So, you know. But, yeah. But I think the biggest challenge, in my opinion, is that we need to get better about separating uh, polyamory as an identity and polyamory as a Mm -hmm. practice. Because we use the same word for both. And not all people that practice polyamory identifies polyamorous, as we know. And not all people that identifies polyamorous practice poly in a way that other people would say is poly. And then you add in people that are swingers or people that are poly and swingers. And it gets trying to segment a population into meaningful groups, which as a researcher is what I have to do to, you know, analyze them, is very difficult. So... You know, I think the biggest challenge is getting specific about who it is these studies are about and who it's not about, and trying to separate out things like, you know, consensual emotional non monogamy from consensual non monogamy, from polyamory, from open relationships. We have to get our, our terminology a lot clearer. Wow. Yeah, that's incredibly difficult, even for us, because there's so many different brands, I guess, of what polyamory can look like in general. And, you know, (laughs) polyamory can be like a monopoly relationship or people like adding a third to a relationship or like multiple, you know, actual really intense relationships between multiple people at once or solo poly or relationship anarchy or anything. So... Yeah, I, that's yep. impressive yep. that you're trying to find those different kind of sects and groups and put them into your research. But I guess that's what you have to do. It's, yeah. it's difficult. <laughs> you know, what I found is that most, like if you, like what I did in my first study was I, I had people choose how they self-identify, mm-hmm. you know, poly, relationship, anarchy, swinger, I had a bunch of options. And then I had them choose between three different definitions of polyamory, swinging, open relationships that didn't actually use those words but just defined the practice of them. Mm-hmm. And those are the, the, the definitions that researchers have been using to describe them. And I saw how they compared, like how they matched up. And I found that poly people, like the vast majority chose the polyamory definition as what they practice. Swingers, by and large, chose the swinging definition as what they practice. But people who identified as being in an open relationship, they chose all three options. Huh. Like the, the term open relationship doesn't seem to denote a specific set of mm. practices the way that polyamory or swinging more so yeah. does. Which is interesting, but you know, frustrating for a researcher that wants everything <laughs> totally. in nice little groups. Not really going to get a yeah. nice bow on that one as much. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection 
And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. When I was filling out the the survey for your most recent study, the one you just collected the data for, um, and I had a really hard time on the section that was asking about hierarchy. It was asking about, you know, how you practice hierarchy. And it was challenging because because uh, I'm someone who identifies more on the solo polyamory side of things. Uh, and that as a podcast, we, we generally espouse a fairly non-hierarchical or at mm-hmm. least not prescriptive hierarchy. Um, but in your questionnaire for your study, it was much more about just descriptive. It was like, do you, do you have someone who you might prioritize when making life decisions? And it's like, well, yes. But like, I would hate to call her a primary like that. That bothers me a little bit. So that was one that I, I had to like sit there and struggle. And finally was like, fine, I'll put this, but I don't like it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you bring up a great point. You know, um, that question was definitely meant to be more descriptive. But even, you know, even no matter how many options I offer, there would have been someone totally. left out mm-hmm. who was saying, no, this doesn't work for me. And and it's difficult because I have to. We have to balance the desire to gather meaningful information, but also the desire to to represent that information mm-hmm. accurately, represent the, the the participants accurately. So it's it's a, a tough wire yeah. to walk, I think. But it's it's interesting. Like uh, my my first study and another big study that just came out found that the most popular or most common hierarchy status is some sort of hierarchy by about by about half about half of poly people are hierarchical in some way and then about a quarter are non-hierarchical according to to these data other quarter and then another quarter there's other options you know having like hierarchy but no primary etc but it is interesting that that hierarchy is more common, but it seems like the trend in the poly community is away from hierarchy these days. Well, and that's why I wish we had more data from the past, because when yes. I read things like um, the book Opening Up, I'm not sure if you've read that one. It's by Franklin Vo. I have. You have. Okay, yeah. So book Opening Up, I love because... Aside from being his own memoir, it was kind of like a history of the polyamory movement. Do you movement. mean more than two? Yeah, more than two. No, not I opening. mean, 
Uh, sorry, not opening up. I mean, um, the game changer. The so game sorry. changer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, game changer! I have not read that yeah, one yet. Good. Okay, sorry. So the the game changer is the second book by Franklin Vaux that's more of a of a mm-hmm. personal memoir of his experience. You know, growing up and being like, why do we have to have just one person to ourselves? To you know, having his long term marriage while being Polly, being one of the kind of leaders on the early like BBS systems and bulletin board stuff um, about polyamory. Mm-hmm. And that he was kind of one of the first people in that movement to start advocating for the rights of secondary partners and kind of questioning this idea that any other relationship kind of happens at the good grace of the primary partner. Um, Right. And and things like veto and stuff like that. And that in the book he describes, you know, when he first put out the secondary bill of rights is what he called it, um, that he got hate mail from poly people you know just tons and tons of hate mail about it yeah and it's interesting now because i do feel like you were saying that it does seem like the community as a whole is kind of moving a little bit away from hierarchy so i am curious if like the the fact that half identify with some kind of hierarchy doesn't surprise me at all but i would be curious to see what that trend would be like yeah. but it seems like we don't really have that data I think I think there's also a um, a location effect because I think at least here where I am in the West Coast, that's my impression is that it's moving away from hierarchy towards more solo poly relationship anarchy, and I mean like broad generalization. Right. But then I talk to people in the Midwest, and it's still very primary secondary, you know, and much more much more closeted, not nearly as as out. Um, and again, broad generalizations, but I, I think it does depend a lot on where you live and what kind of communities are around yeah. you. It's going to be probably more wonder- difficult for someone in a small town to feel like they can come out and not be at least seeming to be monogamous sure. in some way, shape, or form, and rather than out here on the coasts. Absolutely. Yeah. I would also be curious if there's a correlation between being out and being less hierarchical. Because if you are passing as Um, monogamous, you kind of, by default, are having to prioritize this person prescriptively, you know? Yeah, you know, that's funny. I could go back in my data and look for that. um, Sweet. Because I have have data on that. I'll look that up and get back to you. (laughs) That would be awesome. I'd love to know. Being out was correlated with um, being happier with non-monogamy. Hmm. Um, That makes sense. So, you know, I did find that out. And, uh, you know, but it's also correlated with being more discriminated against. Yeah. Right. Um, right. But so you sort of gain some stressors, but then you don't have the stress of concealment yeah. as much. So, you know. um, yeah. We tend huh. to like to have actionable takeaways for our listeners. Um, so is there anything kind of yes. concrete uh, based on your research or or other research or personal experience or anything that you could say that you've gotten um, that would be like a concrete thing that you could give our listeners regarding non-monogamy and polyamory. Sure, yeah, I've got a couple things I could I could share. You know, one thing I think that that poly people or non-monogamous people need to keep in mind is that we live in a society. Uh, a monogamist, you know, mononormative, however you want to say it, society that is actively trying to pull poly people mm. into pairs. 
Yeah, that is like the, the social pressure yeah. is to pair off. And that to be poly in America is to live in a environment that is constantly in subtle or overt ways yeah. invalidating. And so you need to have coping me- mechanisms to protect against this sort of invisible source of stress. So, you know, it might be helpful to pay attention to all these little microaggressions if you're out that you might uh, experience and be able to call them what they are and activate your coping resources. You know, it's one thing um, for someone to, you know, invalidate you in some way, ask an intrusive question, make a passive-aggressive comment, and if you don't kind of realize, okay, that was a microaggression, that wasn't okay, I need to do something to make myself feel better, then you're going to kind of carry that stress with you. So, some things that can help, um, I think... Uh, And one of the things I hypothesized in my new study is that a supportive poly community is really important. Um, Whether it's online or in person. I think in person would be better if you can, but if you're in the middle of nowhere or there's no poly community around, there's a lot of community online. And you want to find a supportive community that can give you that that in-group validation. People that can help support you, validate your feelings, listen to you. Some place where you can vent the frustrations of living in a monogamous world. Um, And I think taking a more, you know, conscious approach to these sort of life stressors, the stress of living as poly, whether it's through exercise or mindfulness or journaling, uh, it's important to really not sweep these things under the rug. And if you're not out... Keep in mind that concealing a part of your identity is in itself a source yeah. of stress that's been linked to you know, mental health outcomes. So do something consistently that really helps you feel supported with other poly or non-monogamous folk. I think that's the biggest takeaway I that's could fantastic. offer. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's awesome. Well, the, And that kind of covers our normal one question that we ask all our guests, which is if you had one piece of advice to people <laughs> just starting out in polyamory, what would it be? And it sounds like it might be that, to find a community. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think it's definitely find the community. And the other piece of advice I would offer as a clinician is... You know, it's great to read lots of books on polyamory, non-monogamy, get acquainted with how it works and with the possibilities out there. But at the end of the day, they're just relationships. And that means you need to build your relationship skills. You need to build your communication skills, your listening skills, your emotional self-regulation skills, your coping skills. These are the things, whether you're monogamous or poly, that make relationships successful Mm -hmm. and sustainable. So, you know, don't feel like you get an automatic pass at being a relationship master just because you're poly. You have to really put the work in. I wish it worked that way. But you have to really put put the work in. That's awesome. That's great. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, where can people find out more about the research you're doing? How can they stay updated on this new research as it comes out? Stuff like that. Uh, the best thing would be to go to my website. It's uh, ryanwitherspoon.com. Very, very simple. And you can download 
slides, of presentations I've done, papers I've written, and you can also contact me through the Fantastic. website. And we'll have a link to that in our notes for this episode as well. So yes. Should be easy for people to find you. Okay, great. That's great. Well, please get back to me about that correlation between um, being out and being less hierarchical. I'm super curious <laughs> about that one. Um, okay, I'm going to find that out. Because like you were saying, I bet there's also a correlation between living in a city like Los Angeles or New York or Seattle with being out. And then you said there's also a correlation yeah. there between um, being less hierarchical than in the middle of the country where you're more likely to be closeted and have a strict primary secondary thing. So I wonder yeah. kind of what might be affecting yeah, what. It's yeah. hard, to, hard to know. I'll find out, but I think you're probably right. That's cool. my prediction. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> We're really excited to hear about this and uh, please keep us updated on on new stuff you're finding out or cool research that you hear about. All right. Will do. Thank yeah, you so thank much you for having thanks, me. Thanks, Ryan. Yay, thank you so much to Ryan. That was super, super awesome. I'm very, very interested to see what else, um, what other research he comes up with and what his findings are for the most current research that he's done. So I'm excited to, yeah, potentially have more researchers on the show at a later date as well. That would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so, okay, if you have a question or comment um, that you'd like to be played on the show, you can definitely call us at 678-MULTI-05. Um, you can also e- you email us. I'm sorry? Did Do you I... want to sing the song? Oh, I can sing it. Okay. Ready? Or, or should I yeah. just sing it this time? <laughs> you sing it. It'll be too much lag. Okay, fine. <laughs> Six, seven, eight, M-U-L-T-I-0-5. Yeah, now I'm a freaking jingle artist. Okay. Yes. Um, you can love it. also email us at info at multiamory.com or send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And then also to support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. And our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. <laughs>